0: Awesome. Well, if you guys have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. I'm excited about uh, this this study because as I was going through it, I, I just felt that not only was it encouraging to me, but I felt that it was fitting for where we are as a church and as a body of believers right now here in Glendora. Because it, it talks a lot about evangelism, about going out, about being sent. I told them I study today, the heart of evangelism, and how important this is in, in our life, in our walks. But before we dive into that, I, I am getting my notes set up. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we just come before you to ask that you would illuminate the text to us, Father. Help us to understand what you desire for us as a, as a body of believers, men and women, Father, serving not only at, in ministries, but in, in, in our family life, in our workplace, Lord. Lord God, what it is to, to know the truth and to be able to share that with others. Go before us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, if you guys have been with us the, the last month, we've had uh, quite a few studies on discipleship and what that means, what it, what it was to be a disciple. We, we learned about the disciples' road to becoming disciples and how Jesus was ministering to them and teaching them all along. And at the end of chapter 9, there was a, a, a heavy lesson that we actually studied a, about a month ago, which was the cost of discipleship, what it meant and what it's going to cost to be a disciple of Christ. I do want to recap uh, of the end of, of chapter 9 before we, we dive into chapter 10. So let's start at the end of chapter 9, beginning with Verse 57. I'll read to you guys. It says, Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. See, over the past few weeks, we've been studying what the road to being a disciple was. And then we witness even in the, in the midst of that, of learning to be a disciple, when Jesus was transfigured on the mount. We learned the cost of discipleship. And I wonder if some of us here this morning are being called into a new service. You know, God has some of us already doing that what he wants us to do. And then you're in that season of life where you're moving forward and that's beautiful. But for some of us, perhaps God is calling us into a deeper discipleship than we've been in. Remember when Jesus took Peter aside? After Peter denied Jesus and then Jesus went to the cross, was crucified and resurrected, he came to Peter. There, the disciples were there. They were making fish. And he said, Peter, do you you love me more than these? And Peter told Jesus, you know I I love you. And he asked him that same question three times, and every time Peter just could feel the the weight of that guilt when he denied Jesus three times. And he said, feed my sheep every time to Peter. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. And what he's doing in that moment is he's calling Peter back into ministry. How many times have we blown it in our life? And we see and that God still is gracious to us. That God loves us and desires that we be used by him. He's telling Peter, look, it's time to care for the church, Peter. Give them the word. Look after their souls. Remember, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily, And follow me. And this is where we pick up now. At the beginning of verse 1 of chapter 10, I have points today. Point 1, if you guys are taking notes, which I encourage you to take notes, because a lot of times you'll be in a study and you'll forget. It's kind of like if you walk into a movie, you watch the movie and you walk out and you forget all the funny parts of that movie. But you're like, it was funny, I just can't remember anything. But when you write it down, You're remembering the lesson. So point one, the call to go out. Let's look at chapter 10, verse one. It says, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. So after all the discipleship lessons, Jesus now, he appoints 70 disciples. Now do you think that when Jesus sent the 70 out, that he went down to the local temple and picked out the leaders there to do his work? Or do you think he just knew these men, simple men, from various backgrounds, and desired that God would use them to do his work? You see... Oftentimes, what you'll see, as especially in Calvary Chapel circles, is the pastors don't come from these very elaborate backgrounds of doctorate degrees. A lot of times they come from the neighborhood. They come from a, a background of, of, of immorality. And God does a mighty work through a simple man who is just open and available to what the Lord has for him. And I like that God uses simple men. Earlier in chapter 9, Jesus, when he sent out the disciples, he sent them to cure diseases, to cast out demons, and to preach the kingdom of God. Now the main difference here in this portion and when he's sending the 70 out rather than just the 12, is that now he's telling these 70 men to go to Gentile areas, areas where it wasn't just Jewish people. And they were given no restrictions. And I like how he sends them in twos. Because in twos, I, I, I remember when Solomon, King Solomon wrote in the Old Testament in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. I'll have that, that verse up on the, the screen for you. Solomon wrote, two are better than one because they have a good reward For their labor, for if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. I'll be very transparent with you guys this morning as I'm reading this text. I'm getting excited because I want to go door to door and start telling people that there's a church around the corner from their house here. I know that was a a leap of faith for my wife. A few, uh, maybe about a a year ago, we started to do that when we were at the old center. And it was kind of scary for us because we were just knocking on people's doors. We're like, well, if the Jehovah's Witnesses can do it. We can do it. We knock on the door and we just let people know, hey, just so you guys know, there's a church around the corner and we meet there on Sundays. And every time we went out, even though most of the time it was actually kind of scary and the people would be like, nope, I already have a church, and close the door, I'd be like, all right, God bless you. Uh, God always did something every time we went out that was like unique where we were like, whoa, that was a divine appointment. One time I ran into my cousin who was driving around in his Amazon truck around the street And he ran into me and he was like, hey, what are you guys doing? I was like, oh, we're handing out flyers for a church that we're starting. And then sure enough, he was there our first Sunday starting. And he started to stay consistent with it too. That was about a year ago. And then again, a few times we would run into somebody who, who we needed to talk to. And we just saw the Lord opening those doors. So there is power in the team that God gives you. And you know, sometimes we're thinking, well, we need all these people in order to do a great work. God can just use you alone. I've often heard this phrase that says, you want to get somewhere quick, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. The 70 who Jesus sent out were to prepare the way of the Messiah. Much like John the Baptist, When he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness in John chapter 1 verse 23. He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. And when John the Baptist said this, he was preaching to Israel. God and the prophet's message was always to God's people. You see, oftentimes we think that the prophets were focusing mostly on Gentile nations and they were prophesying against that nation, but mostly the prophet's focus was the nation of Israel. And yet John called the nation of Israel the wilderness. He's crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. And why is John the Baptist calling Israel, the chosen people of God, a wilderness? What is the wilderness? When we see the characteristics of the wilderness. It's a thing of chaos, of of uncertainty with, with a lot of dead bushes and plants. Uh, there's no law and order in the wilderness. Death. Tozer, A.W. Tozer wrote concerning the wilderness. He says, and I'll have the quote on the screen. I wonder how it will be today. I wonder whether we can shake off this drowsiness. What is it going to take to open our eyes to the church's moral condition? We are so busy with our jobs and raising our children and going to school and keeping up with programs and reading as much as we think we ought to and going to so many places without little social engagement. We have become so busy that we forget that there is a wilderness. The spirit of the wilderness is settled upon the churches of Christ as well as upon the great world around us. There is a voice calling. God's voice speaks whatever he can through whomever he can. God is trying to say to us a voice Crying in the wilderness. Now what are we going to do? Are we going to defend ourselves? Or surrender? Are we going to obey and repent? That's the question I have for us this morning. See the church. Sometimes in our heart. We experience those seasons of wilderness. But what gives us life? Who gives us life? That's Jesus. He brings that found that water in the desert out of dry places just as Moses spoke to the rock and water came pouring out of it. Jesus is that rock in our life. Perhaps we're wondering, I don't have vision. I don't know what I'm doing with my life. Jesus will give you that vision. He'll put his desires in your heart and you'll be fulfilled as you walk forward in that. Point two, Pray for the workers. In verse 2, it says, Then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. And therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And to this I say, Amen. Because as I'm reading this, I'm like, yes. Tell them. Tell them, Jesus, (laughs) the harvest is so great, and there's so few workers. Notice Jesus here is illustrating the world to be a harvest, something to be gathered so that the Father, God the Father, may enjoy the fruits thereof. And this harvest is great. However, few people go out to gather in the world that people might be saved. Why are there so few people? Why are there few laborers? I ask myself. I have to look at what the Bible teaches us. That there are three things that are fighting against the work of God in our life and in the life of the church. Number one is the devil, Satan. Satan will do everything in his power so that the gospel is hindered. He'll put everything in your way so that you guys don't make it to church, so that you guys miss out on your devotional time. Anything that dis- to distract you from reading your Bible. So Satan is attacking us, but not only is Satan against us, but the world itself, the world system. The world wants to tell us that they are the authority on what is morality, and that if we don't conform to them, then we're the outcasts and that we are actually evil. The Bible teaches us that in the end times, people will call what is good evil and they'll call what is evil good. So the world is against us, but not only is that Satan and the world against us, but thirdly, our own flesh is against us. Our flesh is that carnal mind, the mind of from our body, without the Holy Spirit. The way we thought before Jesus was in our life. Our sin nature. And not only is the flesh in our sin nature going to pull us away from evangelism, but even fear, anxiety, worry, things of the flesh will try to keep us from just letting people know that Jesus loves them and has a plan for their life. Maybe uh, evangelism in your mind is like, man, that's scary. How do I share the gospel with people? I, I, I'm new to this. I don't, I, I, don't, I don't know how to do that yet. Well, I think good ministry is, if you can ask yourself if you had time to pray with someone today. And then remind people of these two simple truths, that Jesus loves them and that Jesus has a plan for their life. I think right there, that's the start of great ministry, of great evangelism. You see, Jesus recognized that there was a problem that only a few laborers were going out. So what does he exhort his disciples to do? Well, we just read it. He said, pray, pray to the Lord of the harvest. What an awesome name for God. The God over those who are being saved. So that gives me kind of a, a sense of relief because I realize it, it's not me who's saving people. That's God's job. That's the work of the Holy Spirit and he just uses us as an instrument. And with that, I, I know that God calls people and I know that people also have to make their own choice. So point three, be gentle and keep it simple. In verse 3, it says, Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Now that's an interesting thing for Jesus to say. He's not literally going to turn them into sheep and send them out there, right? So he's speaking again figuratively. So what are the characteristics of a lamb? A lamb, it's not a predator, first of all, like a wolf. And oftentimes, actually, lambs are preyed upon by wolves. That's why they need a shepherd. A lamb is gentle, whereas a wolf is a ferocious beast. Lambs are more often noted to be stupid and simple. One will, out of a herd of sheep, jump off of a cliff, and the other will see it and go, and they will follow off and jump too killing themselves until eventually, I think the ones on top probably just bounce off and survive. But wolves, they're cunning. They'll do whatever they can to get that sheep alone and to feast upon it. And Jesus said, look, I'm sending you out to be gentle, to be simple, but recognize that there are wolves out there. So I exhort us that we should be wise and discerning. In another portion of scripture, Jesus told his disciples to be as gentle as doves and as cunning as serpents. And I exhort us this morning to be a little uh, applicable. Let's have tough skin so that when people say negative things about us, we could take it. Now, with that tough skin... Let's have soft hearts so that we love people despite of what they're doing or not doing. See, many times as Christians, we feel the need to be the victor over every religious argument. Some of you guys are Facebook warriors right now and you just want to tear down people, but you know what? I have to step back from that and say, God, you're in control. We feel that It is a dog-eat-dog world, and only the strongest will survive. But this is not how Jesus wanted his disciples to act. They needed to have truth with love. Because truth without love is brutality. And love without truth is hypocrisy. I'll say that again. Truth without love is brutality, and love without truth is hypocrisy. And remember, as sheep, who is our shepherd? It's Jesus. You guys could feel free to say Jesus. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Point four. Expect no temporary gain. And beginning with verse 4, it says, Carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. So Jesus is telling them, look, don't take money. Don't take your backpack or your shoes. Now, when you go on a mission, if you get to ever experience the joy of going on a mission trip, these are the number one items you're supposed to take. You're supposed to take a backpack, some money, and for sure shoes. But Jesus is sending them out without these things so that they could rely 100% on Jesus and on his provision. This subtraction of goods would also keep their focus solely on the work at hand. In verse 5, it says, But whatever house you enter, first say, Peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, Your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. And that greeting in the Jewish language, it's shalom. That's how they say peace be to you. And it's still a common greeting to this time. Now here's an indication for someone that you just meet, that they might be a believer. As if you greet them with peace, do you find your greeting is received well? Have you ever been walking somewhere and you just look at someone and they just got this smile on your face and you're like, dude, that, ha- that guy has to be a believer. You just feel it. There's something spiritual. The Lord is giving you that, that discernment. You see, God was sending out his message of peace, but some did not know peace because if you want to know peace, if you want to know the peace of God, you first have to know the grace of God. And for some people, it's hard to accept God's grace in their life. You say, why? why? Why should I open myself up to the grace of God, to his love? And how can it be so easy that we just say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins, and he forgives us? But that's the truth of it. I don't understand fully wh- why God is so gracious, but I know he is. You see, we as believers, we seek to bring peace in other people's lives, when we have not asked for peace from God in our own life. You can't earn it. You have to simply receive it. In verse 7, it says, And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give. For the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things, as are set before you. So in verses 7 and 8. He says allow for others to bless you. For the spiritual work you are doing. So I, I do find it scripturally accurate. That people in ministry. Do get supported by the church. In verse Eight, again he, he's telling and reminding his disciples look, look don't be rude if people bring you gifts and food receive them there was this time when i i, I was in Colombia, and the amazon and it was our first night there and, and they began to serve as our, our dinner for the night and i got, had my little plate out and they set before us a it was a these noodles uh, that were kind of bland mixed with, uh, with like a tuna, like tuna fish. No sauce, no nothing, just straight noodles and tuna, like a glob of it. And I was like, all right, amen, praise the Lord. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to be rude, so I ate it. But I, I got to admit, sometimes when you're out, out there, the Lord's going to bring you things in your life that you feel, oh, I, don't, I don't want this. But he's calling you, you know what, you've got to love on these people. They're showing you something here. So don't be rude in your evangelism. Point five. Use the gifts he's given you. And we read in verse nine, it says, And heal the sick there, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. So here we have it, healing, right here in the Bible. I do want to camp on this verse for a while and on on this idea because there are some people who believe that the spiritual gifts such as miracles and tongues was only for a time and has since stopped. There's a theological name for that. They're called cessationalists, meaning that the gifts had ceased. Now, I want to ask you guys this morning, are, are these spiritual gifts for today? Do you believe that these spiritual gifts are for today? The gift of healing, the gift of tongues, the gift of prophecy. So when I read in my Bible, I see the Bible teaches that they are. And I want to show you guys where I see that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 through 10, it says, Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. So now there's certain people who read that and they say, You see, uh, the gifts of, of tongues and prophecy and preaching it, it's it's over. It's not for today anymore. But I have, in my Bible, it says, when that which is perfect comes. Now, some believe that this is referring to when the Bible was complete. And since then, the the gifts were finished. They ceased. But if that which is perfect is complete, is referring to the Bible, this body of Scripture, then I ask, is, is the book of Revelation complete? The question arises, is the book of Revelation complete? Now remember, there's parts of God's revelation that even when you read the book of Revelation, like in Revelation 10, that were sealed up. The seven thunders uttered voices that as John was writing, the Holy Spirit told him, look, seal this up, don't write it down. So we actually don't have a complete revelation of everything that is in the Bible. So what I see here is that which is perfect has not been fully and completely finished. In Acts chapter 2, verse 4, it says this, referring to the day of Pentecost. It says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then in verse 17, it says, And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. So are we living in the last days? I believe we are. But this prophecy is saying for the last days that there's going to be prophecy going out. And it takes it right up into the great tribulation. So when I see that this gift of prophecy is going to be exercised upon those whom the Spirit has poured out in the last days, then those who would actually be going also into the tribulation period. So if we again look at that verse where it says that tongues shall cease, And prophecies will fail while the prophecies have not failed yet. So I don't think neither the tongues have. And if it's all tied together, then it's all going to go away at the same time. You see, when we're there in the presence of the Lord in heaven, we're going to be able to understand everything. So the gifts are for today. And I think it's a beautiful thing when people have that prayer language to God. And for a more in-depth study on tongues, go, go to the book of Corinthians. Look at chapter 16. But we're not there yet today. So point six. I have point six, the warning to the lost. In verse 10 it says, But whatever city, Jesus says, you enter, And they do not receive you, go out in its streets and say, The very dust of your city, which clings to us, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. But I say to you that it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. You see, by this action, they signified that they would have nothing more to do with the people who rejected Jesus. They would look upon them even as impure and unholy. So much so that they said, look, we don't want wealth or riches from you. We don't even want the dust from your city upon us. It would shake the dust off. And I'm reminded, you see, sometimes we just need to learn to walk away. Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine. So we have to have discernment. He referred to Sodom, the wicked city, which God wiped out because of their exceeding sin. You guys remember in the book of Genesis with with Lot and his wife, they were there in the midst of that terrible city. And the Lord rescued Lot out of that. And he wiped out Sodom and Gomorrah And then in verse 13, Jesus says, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. When Jesus is proclaiming these woes, that word for woe, it's an exclamation of grief or calamity. The cities of Tyre and Sidon, they were Gentile cities. And Jesus is saying, look, here Jerusalem, you guys are, are in a worse spot than these Gentile cities because the Gentile cities, they weren't given what the Jews had which was the testament of God, the Mosaic law. And he's warning them that sackcloth and ashes would come, which was a, a method of mourning of great loss. And I'm reminded that to much is given, much is required. The Jews should have been faithful to the Messiah because to them it was given the prophecies. But they rejected Jesus and their sin was worse than those who did not know of Jesus, the Messiah, to come. And what about us here today? We know the truth. When we come to church, and especially those who I see you guys here week after week, we we know the truth, so how bad will it be for us to then walk away from what we know is true? When we come to church, we should be ready to leave different every time. Don't leave here the same. Allow the the message to penetrate your heart what God is speaking to you so that when you leave, you're a different person. And every time you have that that relationship with God, that encounter with God at, at church, we should walk out of here just growing. And then when you get more involved you're gonna start to see just wow man god is changing my life and it's not even you who's doing the work anymore it's the holy spirit sometimes people are like man how how could you be at church so much like why do you spend so much time there because the carnal mind doesn't understand the things of the spirit they're naturally minded But when you're in the temple of the Lord, that's the best place to be. So I'm excited for Wednesday nights when they start coming up to get in that that cycle, that routine. Because sometimes it's like, oh, the devil will will tempt you to say, okay, like it's cool that you're getting involved a little bit, but you don't got to be full-blown Christian, bro. You don't got to go all the way. You know, Sunday once a week is good. You don't need to be there on Wednesdays. You don't need to go to the the, the men's discipleship. Don't try to fellowship with the women. That's what Satan wants us to do, is to think that we're better off doing other things in our life than what Jesus has for us. Point seven. Jesus equals God. And in verse 16 it says, He who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Jesus is equal with God. To reject Jesus is to reject God in your life. So don't listen to anyone who tells you that Jesus is just a prophet, or a good man, or even just the Son of God, but not God. Don't listen to them. Jesus is God. He made it very clear to his disciples that he was equal with God. So in order for us to go to the Father, we have to receive his Son. Point eight, and my last point. Stay humble. Stay simple. In verse 17, it says, then the 70 returned with joy saying, "Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name." And he said to them, "I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven." So now after they go out now, they're doing their missions work, they're they're spreading the gospel. There is an impact. They see the effect. They see God moving through their lives. People are getting saved. And they go back after they've healed people, after they've prophesied and and cast out demons, and they're saying, Jesus, even the demons are subject to your name. And Jesus warns them to remain humble. He says, look, I, I saw Satan like lightning fall down from heaven. And what was Satan's sin? He became prideful, and he wanted to take the place of God. So Jesus is reminding them to give all the glory to God. Good ministry Lessons is number one, don't touch the money. Number two, don't touch the women. Number three, don't touch the glory. And that's one of the major pitfalls of of leaders. Satan fell from his own pride. Look at verse 19. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Now, when Jesus said this in verse 19, that the serpents and the scorpions aren't going to harm you, perhaps it's both figurative and literal. However, I do not ever find it in Scripture that a person tests God with serpents by placing the serpents on himself. Sometimes you'll hear of some crazy guy doing that. He's like, see, I trust the Lord so much, I'm going to put all these serpents on my face, and then he gets bit. See, there were times, even when Paul got bit by a snake and wasn't harmed by it, and miraculously he, he survived and wasn't harmed, but he wasn't trying to get bit. The serpent just happened to s- slither out of the fire and bite him. Just this past week, Lisette got stung by a bee right here outside of the church. As we were, uh, this lady came up and was interested in, in the church, and we started to talk to her, and all, she goes like, oh, and dropped the rod. And I was like, you okay? You all right? And then she was good. She had a little bit of a, well, she got stung, though. It was a little bit of a rash, but she got over it. So sometimes in life, there's suffering in ministry. All these things are still under God's sovereign hand, but more important, Jesus said that we should rejoice that our names are written in heaven. Going back to the eternal perspective, this is going all the way for the Lord. Because all this that's here on this earth, it's all going to pass away. God is going to burn the earth. And he's going to burn it all away and create a new heavens and a new earth. And with all of that, all the, the time and effort we spend in shining up our, our cars that we love so much, our, our toys in life, it's all going to burn. It's all going to go away. And you only have one life, and it will soon be past. And only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we s- study, Father, what it is to have the heart of an evangelist. I pray, Lord God, that You would do that in us, Lord. Father, that You would give us, Lord God, just the Holy Spirit power, the words, the discernment, to love people. To look at a person. In it, And ask them how they're doing. This morning, if you want to know the power of Jesus in your life and you haven't known the power of Jesus in your life, if perhaps you've walked away from the power of Jesus in your life and you again want to experience that peace that Jesus has for you, That's you this morning. Just raise your hand and I just want to to pray with you. And Father, we just ask that you would continue to equip us, Lord. For those, Father, who have been walking with you, for those who have been serving you, Lord, I pray, Father, that you would continue to give them, Father that fulfillment in you. Give them peace, Lord God. We pray and we ask, Lord, that we would be living epistles, Lord, in our family lives, in our community, in our workplaces, in our school, in our business. Lord God, we would be fulfilled in fulfilling your call. We love you. We thank you and we praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand. So this week, pray for the heart of evangelism in your life. Um, remember, keep us uh, in prayer as uh, we're coming up on our, remember Wednesday night, the first Wednesday of August, we're going to start our Wednesday nights here. And um, as I said it, I think last week, we're not going to have the, the sound system set up. We're not going to have a camera so we won't be broadcasting it online. You'll have to meet here in person. And the reason being is we wanna as as the leaders here be able to just focus on what God has to say to us. And pray that the Lord would add to us so that He would raise up leaders. But in all these things, remember most importantly that Jesus loves you, that he has a plan for your life, that he died for your sins. And for that we could sing to him in worship. So let's end with this last song.
1: Over the mountains and the sea your river runs with love for me And I will open up my heart And let the hills set me free I'm happy to be in the truth And I will daily lift my hands For I will always sing Of when your love came down I could sing of your love forever I could sing of your love forever Forever, I could sing of your love forever. I could sing of your love forever. Oh, I feel like dancing. It's foolishness, I know. But when the world has seen the light. They will dance with joy like we're dancing now I could sing of your love forever 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 forever. I could, I could sing of your love forever, I could sing of your love forever. I could sing of your love forever, I could sing of your love forever. Amen, be blessed this week. We love you guys. We'll see you next Sunday and men,
0: we'll see you Friday night.
1: for